membership class. The problem is, is my Google account got hacked and shut down, so I lost all my documents and the stuff that I had in there. I, I'm at the point where I do not like technology sometimes. How many agree with me on that? Yeah, it's almost scary. So, again, I am going to be working on that. So those that have become members, I am working on a membership class. Uh, is there anything that I'm missing? Other than tonight, we have our Christmas Eve candlelight service. It'll be short. Um, I had a bunch of slides, but my wife said that might be too long. <laughs> huh? And there is no Wednesday service or next Sunday night service. Just remember that due to the holidays. All right. Um, if we can have our ushers at this time to come forward, and we'll take up our morning tithes and offerings. I've asked John if he wouldn't mind praying this morning. He said he'd pray for the offering. That's me, my fault. Um, I remembered, we need to pray for Sister Gillum. She's in the hospital. And did I get the last name right? Did I say it right? Okay. She's in the hospital, and she's not doing well, nor her sister, her daughter, or, and her family is all sick. So can we take a moment to pray for her together as they're picking up ties off? Before we go to worship, I just wanted to remember that. I was like, oh, yeah, I need to pray for her. So would you just bow your heads as we pray for her this morning? Father God, we lift up Sister Gillen to you and, and her, uh, her daughter and that family. We pray for healing on them. Lord, as she is in this hospital, Lord, you said that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And your presence is with us to the very end of the age. And so I pray, Father, that, you would, that she would not only sense your presence, but bring healing to her body and her family and bring healing to our community in the name of Jesus. We also pray for the Doyle family, Lord. Just lift them up and strengthen them during this very difficult time. Lift up Randy and Christy and Keith and Kyle and all the grandkids. Just pour out your love on them during this very difficult time. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to worship. You want to stand to your feet if you can. Father, we just want to come into your house to praise your holy name this morning, Lord. We ask that you just have your way in this service, God. Father, just lead us down a new path. Strong, but your life. 
As we think about this time of year, I love that song, Hope. Jesus, you came to give us hope. It's not just a wishful thinking or maybe uh, hope. It's a I know so hope. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You came in to give us an expectation, a hope that we know that when we're born again, because of the sacrifice that you made, that we have the hope of eternal life there with you, Father, in heaven because of your Son that gift that you freely gave us, that we didn't deserve, but you gave to each of us. And it raises up hope within us. Father, I pray that this, not only Christmas service today for Christmas Eve, but throughout the year that you will raise hope within individuals, not only within this church, but within our nation. We need you, Jesus, more than we've ever needed you before. So this morning, we put our hope in you, the King of Israel. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning. I'd like to dismiss the kids to go back at this time. If we can have our ushers at this time. We're going to be taking communion this morning before we get into the message. As they begin to pass this out, I'm going to share just a little bit of what this means. You guys can go ahead and pass it out this morning. <clears throat> Jesus came to die on the cross for you and I. It's the greatest gift that God could ever give to us. We often think of Christmas as gifts, but it is the gift. And it is the gift that keeps on giving. And his name is Jesus. Jesus came so that we could have eternal life. And a lot of us know that this morning. And we, we take communion and, and sometimes we it becomes old to us. Let's not make this become old. When we take of this, we need to remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us. In Sunday school this morning, we shared testimonies, our testimonies, of when we got saved. King David mentions, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Christmas is about Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. And all about Jesus. It's about our coming back into union with God the Father. There was a there was a separation of relationship in the garden. And yet God thought about our salvation way before the fall. 
He had a plan. And he had our names written on it. And he knows who we are. That's why it says it was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. That joy was you and I. He saw us, the ones that he would die for and shed his blood for. In Luke 22, at Passover, Jesus says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. One of these days, we're going to get to take communion with Jesus in heaven. Right now, we get a little taste of it. So if we're going to take it, take it with joy. Because in heaven, it's going to be a great and wondrous thing. And then he says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks. He said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. His body was broken for you and I, and his blood was shed for you and I. Through the broken body of Jesus, we are brought to God, and through his shed blood, our sins are forgiven. What a beautiful thing that I could stand up here and say, without a shadow of a doubt, that I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb, that I'm saved and born again, that when I take my last breath, I'll be in the presence of Almighty God. Not because of what I've done, but because of what He has done. That's what salvation is about. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works, not by good deeds. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one should boast. The only one that has the right to boast is God the Father. So would you please take this bread? When Jesus came, he was born in a manger and he was put in a trough. And the trough, the bread that they put in there represents the grain, the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he says, this was broken for you and I. Would you please take in remembrance of what Jesus did for you? Would you please hold up the, the cup that holds or represents his blood? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He was, shed, he, he was pierced seven times, which is when they do, they would put on the mercy seat. On the altar, the high priest would, he shed his blood seven times for you and I. Would you please take in remembrance of what he's done for you? Father God, as we have taken up communion this morning, we celebrate this time of year, the Father, that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. His whole mission on earth was to die for us so that we could have a right relationship with you, Lord. Father, we thank you for that this morning. We praise you for that this morning. We thank you for this time of year that we celebrate the greatest gift of all, your son and the salvation that he has brought. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Everybody having a good Christmas so far?
Shopping been good? The lines, I went four times the other day and I couldn't believe it. I stood in line probably each time about a half an hour. I'm so glad for God's grace. And I'm not speaking of the grace that he gives others. I needed grace that day. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture this morning. Luke chapter 2. I like this. I, I borrowed this one. Christmas Unwrapped. The title of the message, A, a Gift Wrapped by God. A gift wrapped by God. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And then we're going to pray. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. <clears throat> he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about the child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were as they had been told. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I find it a privilege to stand behind here, behind this pulpit, sharing your words, what you have said about this. Father, I can do nothing apart from you. Speak through me, Holy Spirit. Not with the eloquence of men, but with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. God, I pray that we won't just hear another Christmas message and forget about it. But God, I pray that you would make this real to everyone this morning including myself, make it real, more real than it's ever been. We already believe, but God, you can open up the eyes of our understanding to more of your word and give us revelation that we have never seen before. I pray that you would make our hearts soft and pliable, that the seed of the word would be planted deep in our hearts and would take root and grow. I pray that it wouldn't fall on hard ground or stony ground or a hard path, or the place where weeds and 
and, 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 and briars would go and choke it out. Again, Father, I get out of the way so that you can speak this morning. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. The first thing we notice about this gift is God has a steward for the gift. And before I get into that, can I tell you, moms and dads, you are stewards. You are stewards of the gift that God has given you. Grandpa and grandmas, you're stewards of your grandchildren. If you're a born-again believer, God has made you a steward of it. So don't take it lightly. Take it seriously. If you have grandkids that aren't serving the Lord or kids that aren't serving the Lord, keep praying for them. God will work and move in their midst. He can change them. God had to pick the right stewards for this gift. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Hold your spot here in Luke chapter 2. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Look with me in verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because jo Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So a righteous man or just man is chosen. God chose a just man, a righteous man. Mary and Joseph are pledged to be married. Um, it, it, so in, in those days, they had a way of getting married. Then Ours is different, right? We call it an engagement, right? Yeah. I go and I, I remember when I proposed to my wife and I uh, set some flowers up and my wife likes white lilies and so I got, and her number's seven, her favorite number seven, so I set out white lilies and there was a beautiful bridge at our favorite park and of course I had my mom there and my Uncle Robert to witness it and my mom to take pictures. I think my mom's, my Uncle, my uncle Robert scared her when he came out the other side of the bridge but, uh, but you know, I remember getting down on my knee and saying all the wonderful things and uh, giving her the ring and an engagement. And, and so it was an engagement. Theirs was different. Their engagement was a, a pledge to be married. They were actually married. They would go to the city gate and the father and, and, uh, of the bride and the father of the groom would go to the city gate with all the witnesses. And they would read off what they call the ketubah, which was the marriage contract or covenant. And 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 the groom would have a cup with the vine in it, which is what we call grape juice or wine, right? What did we partake this morning? And he would offer it to the bride. And if, if you don't know, in, in, in the Galilean wedding, it was a little different because the bride got to choose. She had the choice. You and I get to choose Christ or reject him. She had the cho choice to re receive or reject her spouse. And if she took it and drank at that moment, 
Along with a dowry, they were married in God's eyes. The word pledge here comes from the Greek word. And I'm not going to try to say it because I'm not good at Greek. And means to be promised in marriage or betrothal. Jewish weddings involve three stages. The engagement. This was an arranged marriage by the parents when the couple were of young age. I am so glad that my mom and dad did not do that for me. The betrothal. The betrothal was illegal binding and made the engagement permanent. It could only be broken by divorce. The, the typical betrothal was about a year. The marriage. The marriage happens following the year of betrothal and was made legal by a ceremony wedding feast and the consummation between a husband and wife where they, the two become what? One. So do you see the difference in their marriages versus ours? We get engaged, we wait, right? But we're not really married until we come to the altar. There, it was an engagement, an arranged marriage, then the betrothal, and then finally the wedding. So Mary and Joseph are married. They did all this. They had witnesses from the town at the city gate. People witnessed this wedding. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, I can only uh, uh, imagine how Joseph felt. We talked about this in Sunday school. I bet you he was angry. Think of all the emotions we don't think about. He was probably thinking, who is the guy that did this? I want to kill this guy. Maybe he didn't think that way, but most of us would, right? Everybody looked at me with that look. Pastor, you really said that? These are emotions. we got to put the emotions there. He's probably upset, embarrassed. Something I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, if you look at the word carpenter, it means artisan. That means Joseph was a builder. Not only did he build wood, but he built buildings. And there was a place called Sepa Forest that was about six miles from Nazareth where the Romans, it was a Roman city, but a lot of the Jews would go there to sell and so Joseph was known, so he was not just this unknown carpenter. He was known, so his reputation was on the line. How many of us, our reputation is on the line for serving Jesus? If they persecuted him, they will persecute you, and they will persecute me. This was followed by, again, seven days of feasting and partying. And so look what it says about Joseph in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, another word is just man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The word just here means righteous, observing divine laws in a wide sense, upright, righteous, virtuous, keeping the commands of God. See, he demonstrated his righteousness by the way he treated Mary. Men, how do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your wife? Joseph is a beautiful picture. God picked the right stewards because of their attitude, their character. It's not what we dress on Sunday. No, most of the time, I'm in jeans and a t-shirt, right? Uh, a dress slacks. Uh, uh, my wife likes me in a dress suit on Christmas Day. 
I had to say no to the tie because my throat's getting a little bit bigger and I can't even put my shirt together. But God picked the right person. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. He looks at the character. Guys, if you're going to serve Jesus, serve him with character. Serve him with virtue. Serve him with honesty and integrity. And honor him in everything that you do. That's what Joseph was. God picked him out because of that. And God picks us out to be the same way. And that doesn't just apply to men, that applies to anybody that serves Jesus. Jesus didn't like the Pharisees because they were on the outside beautiful, but on the inside he called them dead man's bones. The word righteous means right standing with God. And that doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you're sinless. How many of us still sin? I mean, I got frustrated at Walmart yesterday. I'm just so glad none of you saw it. God is looking for right people with him. If you're not right with Jesus, this is the perfect time. Most people only go to a Christmas service or an Easter service and that's it. That's all they give to God, which tells you where their heart is with God. But God has opened up the opportunity for us to be made right through this gift. So God chose a righteous man. His character was good. Look how he treated her. He didn't want to expose her to what? public disgrace and he had every right to in that culture they were to put her to death according to Jewish law because she was pregnant out of when or she was married but she was pregnant I don't even know how to say that you get it right she was married but she was pregnant but Joseph wasn't the daddy not pregnant out of wedlock I got that wrong look at this verse 19 then Joseph her husband being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. That tells a lot about his character. Joseph acted in grace and showed by his fruits that he was a just man. He gave her grace. Do we give grace to others? I often ask myself that. Do I give grace to others that I want from God or that God has given me? Do I show mercy to others? Some people deserve judgment, but do I show them mercy? Number three, Joseph obeyed God. Look with me in verses 20 through 25. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then he explains, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Even with all, see, if he would have married her and stayed married to her, even though she was pregnant, it would have brought disgrace on him. So he was taking that chance to be ridiculed by others to obey God. Are we ready to be ridiculed for Jesus? Are we willing to be ridiculed for Jesus? When I was in the service and when I was in the military, 
I might have shared this with you, but I want to share it again because it's such a good, good, uh, good illustration. A lot of the guys in the, in the barracks uh, knew I was a believer and knew I was a Christian, and it bothered them. And I had a shirt that said, Christians obediently, or no, it was, uh, 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 when the wicked flee, no man pursue it, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I had that shirt on one day, and I was in the hallway, and one of the guys yelled, oh, there goes that Jesus freak. And I turned around and I said, praise God that you recognize me. He never bothered me again. Be proud of your relationship with the Lord. Be proud. And, and, and it doesn't mean you go out to look for that, but if it happens to you, hallelujah, you're blessed, as the scripture says. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. And it's going to happen more and more as we see the day approaching. So Joseph was obedient. He did what God told him to do, even though it would cost him maybe even business. Because again, in the Jewish culture, by him marrying her, even though she was pregnant, and they had not come together, he was willing to take her upon himself and her ridicule. Again, it probably cost him businesses or some jobs, his reputation, but his reputation, does this make sense this morning because I'm even trying to make it out right out of my mouth. Even if it cost him his reputation, his reputation with God was more important than what other people thought. Real faith is acted out in obedience to God. You want real faith? It's acting it out. It's doing the right things. James says, don't just be a listener of the word, but be a what? Doer of the word. That means when you get saved, works should follow. It should have fruits that say, hey, that guy's a believer. Or that, guy, or that girl's a Christian. I'll give you another example. The other day, we're out at Walmart. Remember those four times I went? I was so tired. I was wore out. And I go over into the, the T-O-Y-S section, toys. My kids aren't here. So I go into the toy section. And I'm looking there, and the guy walks over, and he has a pentagram necklace. And I went, oh, I was going to turn around and start witnessing to him, but he ran off. And every aisle, it seemed like God was putting me in the aisle with this guy. I'd go down, he turned, and the minute he saw me, he would take off. And the only thing I could think was is that he sensed the Holy Spirit in me and was t running from me. Obedience, the way you live your life, the Holy Spirit permeating from you. John Calvin said this, all true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. C.S. Lewis said, obedience is the key that opens up every door. Joseph was a just man, a righteous man. He listened to God and he was obedient. Are we righteous? Do we listen to God and are we obedient? That was the steward of the gift. How about Mary? Go with me back to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through Luke chapter 1, verse 26, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. Uh, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So we look at Joseph, a man who was righteous, that listened to God, that obeyed God. Then we look at a girl, she was highly favored. Now the sixth month is the referring to the sixth month of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy. But it calls her highly favored. Now, the word favored here comes from the Greek word karato, uh, uh, which in the Strong's definition it says it means to be highly favored, make accepted, to honor with blessing, to make graceful. Can I tell you this morning that if you're born again, God made you graceful? God put his favor on you. You and I are highly favored just like Mary. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? Favored means uh, uh, unmerited favor or grace. God has given us unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us. How many guys have, like having favor? Somebody favorite? When you were in school, did you ever have a favorite in class? I, we had one kid. He was always the favorite of the teacher. I was the kid that was always out in the hallway. Boy, it used to irritate me. Can I tell you, I've got a teacher now that calls me favored. Why would an angel come to greet her? In what way was she highly favored or greatly graced by God? How was God with her? Mary's response reveals her humility and honesty before God. She certainly never expected to see an angel and receive special favors from heaven. There was nothing unique about her that such things should happen. If she had been different from other Jewish girls, as some theologians claim she was, then she might have said, well, it's about time, I've been expecting you. No, all this was a surprise to her. And that's Warren Worsby's commentary. To be favored here means God bestowed his grace upon Mary and chose her to bear a son. Now, I think that that's wonderful. I still think that there was something about Mary that God said, hey, that young lady there, there was something different about her. Now, I don't know what that was because I wasn't alive then. But God knew and God saw that. He saw Joseph and he saw Mary. Guess what? God has chosen you and I to do great things for him. He said, this day that person's going to get saved. My salvation, which I've shared with you on plenty of occasions. God said, this day I've chosen this young man to get saved because I've got a purpose for him. Guys, God has a purpose for each of us. No matter what your circumstances, no matter, no matter what's going on in your life, you are still called of God and he has a purpose for your life. And he had a purpose for Mary. 
Again, you and I are highly, highly, highly favored. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. I want to focus on the gift of God, for it is by grace, favor. The gift of God is Jesus. Why am I reiterating this this morning? Because this is Christmas, and you and I can relate to Mary that if you're born again and saved, you have God's favor like Mary did. So God has the stewards for the gift, then he has the birthplace of the gift. God strategically picked where Jesus would be born. Go with me to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 4. Now understand this, that Caesar Augustus did a decree, and I believe that was the, the doing of God. I think God did all that to, to move and and so here's another thing. God will orchestrate things in our life and move us in certain directions to do what he wants to do in our life. He's the, he's the ultimate, I've always said, chess player. He knows exactly where every piece needs to go. You and I are like a puzzle piece, and he's putting the puzzle together. I didn't get any amens out of that, so I guess you guys could figure that one out on your own. So God picked the perfect birthplace. He strategically picked it. Look at verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of what? The line of David. God had promised to David back in 2 Samuel that he was going to uh, put somebody on his throne and that no, his throne would last forever. And God fulfilled that. Uh, Bethlehem was the town of David. Again, it was picked to fulfill prophecy. Look what Micah 5, 2 says. But you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This was written about 400 years before Jesus was even born. And yet God says, out of Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Judea, another word for Judah is Judea, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel. Jesus is still ruler over, over Israel today. Even everything that's going on, he's still king. Nothing moves him. And everything's being, uh, uh, there's a purpose to everything that's going on. Whose origins are from old of ancient times. That speaks of Jesus' deity. Again, it describes, again, who Christ is to man. He is deity. The word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Jesus was actually laid in a stone trough that held the grain to the temple sheep. Now, these sheep were temple sheep. They were used for the sacrifice during the Passover Jesus is the sacrificial what? Lamb. And he was laid in a trough that looked like this. These are the, 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 you can find these all over Israel. He was laid, that was his trough. I'm so glad I had a soft one my mama put me in. He was put in a stone trough. They would put the grain, which was made from bread, into this trough for the sheep 
Jesus is the lamb. He is the sheep, the sacrifice for our sins. He is the bread that came down from heaven for you and I. And God is saying right there, the bread that came down from heaven is the manna that came down from heaven so that you and I can have the bread of life and have eternal life through him. Look what he says. I am the bread of what? Life. Turn with me to John. Hold your spot here and go with me to John chapter 6, verse 41. John chapter 6. If I got this right, let me see here if I got it right. I think I got the wrong scripture here. Just give me a minute. I put it in wrong. I am so sorry sometimes I do that I'm, I leave out a, a digit and it gets all messed up would you please forgive me this morning thank you for your grace well anyways it's the scripture where he talks about the manna that comes down from heaven and I thought I had it right if you want to find it you're welcome to I'll get it but anyways Again, he was born in a manger. Now, go back with me to Luke chapter 2. I apologize for the scripture. You know, that's the wonderful thing. At least I admit it when I make a mistake. It's just testing to see if you guys could flip through the scriptures fast enough. So look with here. Look at verse 7. Let's start in verse 6. He says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She's wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there were no room for them in the inn. Now, it's interesting. The word manger here comes from the Greek word fatne, which means a crib for the fodder or manger or stall. The stall or manger was actually the birthing caves for the temple sheep, again, for the temple sacrifices. So these were... These were sacrificial sheep owned by the temple, by the high priest, that they would sacrifice for Passover. I find it fitting that not only was Jesus the bread of life laid in a trough where the grain was, but he was the sacrificial lamb birthed in the caves where the sacrificial lambs were birthed. God has a way of putting everything together. In fact, those caves are still there to this day. That is one of them. You can go online and look it up. See all the sheep? God knows how to line everything up. He's the bread of life and he's the sacrificial lamb. Look at what John says in John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb of God. Jesus was the final sacrificial lamb that was provided by God. He was born in a cave where lambs are offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. The Passover is symbolic of what Jesus is. Now, I know this scripture is right, so go with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, look at me in verses 21. 
through 23. Just give you an overview. This is when God's getting ready to lead his people out of Egypt after 400 years of bondage. This is the final plague. They're in the room and God tells them and gives them, he gives them a plan of what they're supposed to do for that evening. It says, And Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood, into the, uh, into the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and the both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top of the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. They would take a plant. I think I've mentioned this before, but the hyssop plant is hollow and it carries water in it. And they would mix it with the blood of the lamb that they sacrificed. They would slice its throat and let it bleed out into a bowl. And they would dip it in there and they would take it on the doorpost. And on the doorpost, if you remember me saying, if you, if you went from top to bottom and side to side, what does that make? A cross. God had the symbolism back in the Old Testament. And now the, at the birth of Jesus, he's saying, my sacrificial lamb is here so that the blood that has shed covers your heart and my heart that when the spirit of death comes, we don't go to hell, but we go to heaven. Now here's an interesting thing. Look real quick in verse 22. He says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some on the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until what? Till morning. You give your life to Jesus, you stay in Jesus. Did you hear that? You give your life to Jesus, you stay in Jesus. Don't go out of the house. God's always symbolic. What he says in the Old Testament, he means in the New Testament. Here's that. Can you guys see that? Did that come up good? Mine's a little dull, but can you see the, the blood on the door frame? So when did Jesus die? He died the day before Passover. Passover weekend. Good Friday. He's the Passover lamb. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice. There doesn't have to be a lot of sacrifices. That one gift came as a sacrifice for you and I. That is why we celebrate Christmas. Bethlehem was the backdrop for the story of Ruth and Naomi. Another picture of redemption. The kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. So not only did it happen in the book of Exodus, but it happened with the story of Ruth and Naomi. And then David, the man after God's own heart, David was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Bethlehem, and cared for the sheep in Bethlehem. He was King David, and Jesus is king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Again, the story of Ruth involves redemption. Again, I've already mentioned that. Number three, the wrapping for the gift. Let's go back to Luke. Luke 
So she not only placed him in a manger, but she wrapped him in clothes or swaddling cloths. There are two different opinions by scholars on what the swaddling cloth was that Jesus was wrapped in as a baby. He says, we, we, we don't know that in any case the day on which, let me see here. Sorry, there are two different, I don't know what happened here, so I'll read it anyways, okay? We do not know that in any case the day on which he was crucified corresponds to the day of the Paschal lambs were slain. Christ thus fulfilling even in his death the figure of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That, that's why I was supposed to go somewhere else. I don't know what's going on this morning. I guess it's just Christmas. So again, there's two schools of thought on what the swaddling cloths were wrapped in. Mary could have brought a swaddling cloth with a picture of her ancestral tribe on the logo. Joseph comes from the line of David, and Mary comes from the line of David. So Jesus is, comes from the line of Judah, which is the lion. He is the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. This is what it might have looked like. She might have carried this in her bag. So she's fulfilling prophecy. Another idea, so, some scholars say, is that he was wrapped in a baby, the baby was wrapped in what we call uh, an ephod. I don't know what is going on here this morning. I do apologize. This is an ephod. It was a priestly garment, the white one on the right side. It's possible because the lambs, they would take the old ephods, put them in the cave, and, and lambs, when they were birthed, they, they frail around, and they don't want them to break their, break their legs, so they would wrap them in these ephods, which were priestly garments. I would like to say he was wrapped in both. We don't know. But it's a good thought, isn't it? That he is prophet, priest, and king. Next, he was wrapped in flesh. Look what John chapter 1, verse 14 says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So not only was he wrapped in an ephod or the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he was wrapped in flesh for you and I. He had to be fully God and fully man because it took a blood sacrifice for the life of the animal is in the blood. Jesus was a gift wrapped by God for you and I, for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. Notice it's in red, he gave. It's a gift. He gave his one and only son, or only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what did God give to the world? His son. Jesus gave of himself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, you must have the same attitude that of Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God something to be grasped or clung to. Instead, he gave of his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in his human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Finally, there's the witnesses of the gift. Look at me in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Let me stop there for a minute. These are the temple shepherds. Remember that cave that you saw, the picture of the cave? Right there is what we call uh, the fields, the sheep fields. 
the shepherd's fields. They're still there to this day, and they were terraces of fields. So the caves are up there, and the fields are there. These are the temple shepherds. They are the ones that took care of the sheep for the sacrifice. Jesus is also the good shepherd. I'm kind of going ahead of myself. I, sometimes I don't like using slides. I'd rather just preach out of the word. <laughs> so Bethlehem shepherds were known to take care of the temple flock. These men may have also protected and cared for the lambs used in temple sacrifice. Many have said that a late December date is impossible because shepherds would not have been out at night at that time of the year. Nevertheless, warm winters are not unknown in Judea, which has a climate remarkable, remarkably similar to Southern California, David Goosey. And this is the, these are the temple fields here. Here's some of the pictures of it. So why did God appear to lowly shepherds? God reveals himself to the poor in spirit or the outcast of society. Poor in spirit means recognizing that you're a sinner. Even recognizing me as your pastor today, making lots of mistakes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first angel brought good tidings. Literally, it means that they preached the gospel to these shepherds who were regarded as social outcasts. To be a shepherd means you, you, you were smelly. That's where you lived. They lived out in the sh with the sheep. I don't know if you've ever been around animals. Uh, some of you have. What do they smell like? How many of you have ever taken them in to live with you in your home? I know some of you guys got cattle, right? Some of you have horses. Would you sleep with them in their barn? That's what the shepherds did. They, they smelled. They were outcasts. It was looked upon as the lowliest job in Israel, one of the lowliest jobs. As a class, shepherds had a bad reputation. More regrettable was their habit of confusing mine with thine as they moved about the country. They were considered unreliable and were not allowed to give testimony in the law of courts. Morris. The shepherds were not only outcasts, but they were ceremonially unclean. If you were ceremonially un unclean, you could not participate with other Jews. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd. The Lord is my rock. I, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack what? Nothing. God holds shepherds in high regards. Pastors today derive their title from the word poimen, which means shepherd. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a shepherd, he desires a noble task or good work. The word shepherd or overseer here comes from the Greek word episkopo, which means by implication superintendent, specifically the Christian episcopate, the office of a bishop, visitation. Pastors are also called elder or pastor. The word elder comes from presbyters. What does he say? Keep watch over yourselves, Peter says this. And all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood, which he bought with his own blood. Jesus is the good shepherd. I have a point here to make this morning. He is the good shepherd, so not only did he die for your sins, not only was he a gift wrapped in flesh, in a swaddling cloth. Not only was he placed in a manger as the bread of life, but he is the good shepherd of our souls. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It was fitting for God to reveal the good news to shepherds who would witness the birth of the good shepherd. Hallelujah. These shepherds were the first missionaries or evangelists. Go with me to verses 16 through 19 real quick. We're just about done. I promise I know you have hams waiting on you. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. When you meet the good shepherd, you can't help but not share him. I love to share about the good shepherd. I did that yesterday, or two, uh, it was yesterday. I was at Walmart. Oh, Walmart's my place. I meet a lot of you guys at Walmart. If you haven't seen that in Walmart, you'll get a chance to one of these days. But there was a lady and a guy there, and, and he just starts talking to me. So I'm like, oh, this isn't by accident. We call those divine appointments. So we're talking with him all of a sudden. I said, well, I, I always use this as an icebreaker. This is the South. I'll always ask him, right, the, the Bible Belt. I always say, do you go to church? When it gets silent, you know where they stand. Well, the lady goes, well, I used to. And I said, well, are you born again? And she goes, yes. And I said, what about you, sir? Well, no, I, I'm not much into that. And so I start talking about the gospel. Here's a wonderful thing. I said, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. And he goes, well, I got time. And his fiance goes, oh, no, you don't. And I went, praise the Lord, out of her mouth, she said it. And he finally goes, he goes, well, I got to get going. He started stumbling upon his words, you know, because he knew that God was working on him. And I finally said, sir, you don't have, you might not have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. This is Christmas. Give your life to Jesus. And he goes, well, thank you. It was nice meeting you. See you later. I said, Okay. These were the first missionaries or evangelists. When they saw this baby in there and the angels praising God over them, they couldn't help but say, God, this is him. He is our salvation. He's the one that came. He's the Messiah. You've got to understand in Jewish culture, they'd been waiting for the Messiah. They're still waiting for their Messiah. But they've missed him. And one of these days, they're going to look on the one of whom they pierce, and they're going to weep. And guys, we're getting close to that. And I'm tired of using the slides. I'm just going to preach because I do a whole lot better that way. Listen, he is the good shepherd. Christmas is about him. It's not about what you get or what you give. It's about what you receive from him. We've made it so much about materialistic things. We've made it so much about other. No, there's nothing wrong with family. There's nothing wrong with getting things. But so many people miss it. The rudest people come out at Christmas, including myself. And we shouldn't be that way. Ever try finding a parking spot in the only Walmart in Ardmore? They need to build another one. That's a good thing to say. It's hard. And you get frustrated and irritated because you're in traffic. And we forget the meaning of Christmas. 
Christmas is about God sending the greatest gift of all for you and I. And I know we hear this all the time, but if we ever forget about it and it gets too old, we need to renew our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He died so that you and I could have freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from shame and burdens. Freedom from hell. Guys, if there's one thing you need to be excited about, be excited that you're not going to burn for all eternity. And separated from God and, his, and, and who he is and his, his personality and his attributes and his love and his joy and his kindness and all that God is made up of. That's what Christmas is about. He is the king of kings, and I want to end with this. Look at this in verse 13. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. God was saying, You're far from me, but I am giving you favor today. I have just given you my son as a gift so that you can have peace with me. The peace the world can't give you, but only God can give you. It's a supernatural peace that only God can give. Nothing else will fulfill you. Your spouse can't fulfill that. Things can't fulfill that. Your children can't. Your job can't. Your home can't. Nothing else but Him. He is the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. That's who He is. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about Jesus. And we need to put Him in His proper place. And not just at Christmas, every day. With every head bowed and every eye closed to you this morning. You've heard the evidences. You see the scripture. You've heard the witness of it. The Bible says we're going to be accountable for what we know. You've been taught the word of God today, not my words, his words. We're all going to have to give an account to God one day. If you're a believer, you're just going to give an account for the things that you did for Jesus. If you're an unbeliever, you're going to have to give an account for your sin. God is a holy God. And being good enough is not good enough. Your, your good works aren't anything compared to the holiness of God. You can't get to heaven on your own good works or your own merit. You can only get through the free gift that God gives you, and it's free. All you have to do is receive it and accept what he did on the cross for you and admit your sin and turn from that sin and confess him as your Lord and Savior. And the minute you invite him in, he comes in and he seals you with the Holy Spirit. He gives you salvation, that free gift. Are you here this morning and it's Christmas time and you would say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not saved this morning. Or maybe... You, You've given your life, but you're not living for him. You haven't really surrendered your life to him, and you want to do it for the first time with nobody looking around. Are you here this morning? You'd say, Pastor, that's me. I need to get saved this morning. I need to turn my life over to the God that loves me 
and gave me the greatest gift. Is that you? Anybody here this morning? Raise your hand. Are you here this morning and you need to get saved? Everybody saved this morning. Well, praise the Lord. That's good. If you're not and you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to pray that God keeps speaking to you, keeps knocking at your heart. Father God, I thank you for those that are here this morning. God, I thank you for your grace, even for me this morning. We all have our days. God, I pray that this morning, if there's anybody in here that didn't raise their hand and you're knocking at their heart, you're waiting for them to open up the door to their heart to invite you in. I pray, Father, that, that as they leave this building, that they will have divine appointments and God, you will send people their way. That, Father, you will draw them to the Son. That it won't, it won't matter where they go, they'll hear Jesus. Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to be in your heart. God, I pray that for each of us that knows you, I pray, Lord, that we know the Christmas story, but I pray that it won't get old. That we'll personalize it, we'll internalize it, and we'll give you glory and praise for what you did, just like the angels did because you are the bread of life. You're the good shepherd. And you are the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we honor you this morning. We thank you for sending your son to die for us. Jesus, we honor you for dying on the cross for our sins. And we say happy birthday in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Don't forget tonight, we have a service tonight, a candlelight service, and uh, it'll be short. We're going to sing some Christmas songs. We're going to take communion for those that weren't here this morning. So if you want to take it again, it's okay. You can take communion again. And uh, we're just going to have a short Christmas service. Then we're going to light candles and sing Silent Night and go out our way at 6 p.m. tonight. God bless you. Have a great day. Merry Christmas.